We now come to questions to Prime Minister Sarah Dines. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Right. Mr. Speaker, the whole House will join me in sending our deepest condolences to the family of Alexei Navalny. He died for a cause to which he dedicated his whole life, freedom, and to return home knowing that Putin had already tried to have him killed was one of the most courageous acts of our time. Together with our allies, we are considering all options to hold Russia and Putin to account, and this morning we sanctioned those running the prison where Alexei Navalny's body still lies. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. I know that my right honourable friend will share my horror felt by this House, the oldest People's Assembly in the world, at the, at the acid attack against a woman and two children on the streets of London. Does he share my anger that we would still not have been able to deport the perpetrator had he been found because of the so-called European Court of Human Rights? When will we stop bending the knee to this so-called European Court, a travesty of a court. Yeah. Prime Minister. Oh, Mr Speaker, this was a horrific attack, and my thoughts are with the victim and their families. Obviously, I can't comment on a live investigation, but speaking more broadly, clearly I don't think it's right for dangerous foreign criminals to be able to stay in our country. And that's why our Nationality and Borders Act made it clear that anyone who is convicted of a crime and gets a sentence of 12 months or more will not be granted asylum in the United Kingdom. That is the common-sense position that I believe is supported by the majority of the British public, but one that the Labour Party voted against time and time again. Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by welcoming the new member for Wellingborough and the new member for Kingswood? I know they will both be powerful advocates for their constituents. On on a more sombre note, Mr Speaker, can I join with the Prime Minister? I was glad to hear what he just had to say, because I'm sure the whole House will join me in sharing our disgust at the death of Alexei Navalny, who, as the Prime Minister said, died because of his efforts to expose the corruption of the Putin regime. It is a reminder that Putin has stolen not just the wealth, but also the future and democracy of the Russian people. Mr Speaker, would the Prime Minister be prepared personally to repeat the allegation made by his business secretary that the former chair of the post office is lying when he says he was told to go slow on compensation for postmasters and limp to the next election. Mr. Mr Speaker, as the Business Secretary said on Monday, she asked Henry Staunton to step down after serious concerns were raised. She set out the reasons for this and the full background in the House earlier this week. But importantly, we have also taken unprecedented steps to ensure that victims of the Horizon scandal do receive compensation as swiftly as possible and in full. Making sure that victims receive justice and compensation remains our number one priority, and we will shortly bring forward legislation to address this matter soon. I'm not sure that takes us very much further forward, so so let let me press on, because on Monday the Business Secretary also confirmed categorically 
that the, pro that the post office was, and I will quote this in fairness to the Prime Minister, uh, at no point told to delay compensation payments by either an official or a minister from any government department, and at no point was it suggested that a delay would be of benefit to the Treasury. So that's Monday. A note released by the former post office chair this morning appears, appears to directly contradict that. And I appreciate... I appreciate the business. This really matters to the people who have been at the heart. I, I, I appreciate that the business secretary has put the prime minister in a tricky position, but, but will he commit to investigating this matter properly, including whether that categorical statement was correct and why, rather than taking those accusations seriously, she accused a whistleblower of lying? Mr Speaker, it is worth bearing in mind that, as the Business Secretary said on Monday, she asked Henry Staunton to step down after serious concerns were raised. But this is, on a matter of substance, one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our nation's history, because people who were working hard serving their communities had their lives and reputations destroyed, and that is why we are working hard to ensure that they get justice and compensation, and that is why we established Sir Wynne Williams' inquiry. It's why we've already paid out over £150 million of compensation to almost 3,000 victims, and it's why we will introduce new legislation shortly to exonerate those. We will make sure that we do what is needed, that the truth does come to light, we right the wrongs of the past, and, crucially, that victims get the justice that they deserve. Mr Speaker, I do hope the Prime Minister will instigate that um, investigation into what was said on Monday, because one of the features of this miscarriage is that where concerns have been raised, they have been pushed to one side. Um, and this, week, this week, we also learned that a 2016 investigation into whether post office branch accounts could be altered was suddenly stopped before it was completed. Now, had that investigation revealed that they could be altered, which we now know to be the case, the livelihoods of those wrongly prosecuted could have been saved. What did government ministers know about it at the time? Mr Speaker, the Leader of the Opposition has picked one particular date, but it is worth bearing in mind that this scandal, hang on, this scandal has unfolded over decades, Mr Speaker, and it was actually following a landmark 2019 High Court case that the previous government established a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams, which is uncovering exactly what went wrong, Mr Speaker, and it is right that that inquiry is allowed to do its work. But also, Mr Speaker, following the High Court case, the government established an independent advisory board, established not one but three different compensation schemes, and as, to, as of now, over two-thirds of people have received full and final offers, because what we are focused on is making sure that the victims get the justice and the compensation that they deserve. Mr Speaker, this uh, information about 2016 has just come to light, I think, this week, which is precisely why I'm asking about it. Consider, considering the Prime Minister's Foreign Secretary was running the government in 2016, and one of the Prime Minister's current Cabinet Office Ministers was the Post Office Minister, has he thought to ask either of them what they knew in 2016? No, 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 Mr Speaker, we did, we, did the, we did the right thing, which was 
to set up an independent statutory inquiry. It would have, it, that is the right way to resolve this issue. It is the right way to get victims the truth and the answers that they demand. But this government is getting, on, get, getting them the compensation that they rightly deserve. Mr Speaker, as we all know, the Horizon scandal left people isolated, their livelihoods lost, their lives ruined. Some died without ever getting the justice that they deserved. Fears of delay, Prime Minister, or cover-up are causing them anguish. And yesterday, Chris Head, uh, once accused by the post office of owing more than £80,000, he said this uh, yesterday. There is a lack of transparency. We need to see the correspondence between the post office, the department and UKGI, because all of the time everything gets shrouded in secrecy. This is his words. Have some respect, please. He's a victim. Now, I appreciate the inquiry is ongoing, but as the Prime Minister knows, and so do I, so does the whole House, that does not provide a reason why he can't draw a line under this, give postmasters like Chris the peace of mind they need, and release all of the correspondence that he wants to see. Will he now do so? Mr. Mr Speaker, as I said, this is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our country's history. I don't think it's not one I don't think that the Leader of the Opposition ever raised with me over these exchanges over the past year. But we are working hard to get victims not just the answers but the compensation they deserve. But we do now have a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams, who has the powers to get access to all the documentation that he requires, speak to everybody that he needs to. That is the right and proper way to get the truth that the victims deserve. But in the meantime, we are not wasting a moment to get victims the compensation they deserve, and the legislation will be before the House shortly. In recent decades, there have been numerous scandals that have left shaken public faith in our institutions, and rebuilding that confidence will require those affected to see that politicians are being honest with them and to believe it. Just like the postmasters, victims of the infected blood scandal have been subject to unimaginable trauma during their search for justice. So can the Prime Minister put their minds at ease and tell the House what undertakings he has made to ensure the government is not limping to the election on payments that they are owed by the British state. Mr Speaker, when it comes to the inflected blood scandal, as I have said before, I am acutely aware of the strength of feeling on this issue and the suffering of all those who were impacted by this dreadful scandal. I gave evidence to the inquiry myself last year. And, as I said then, I recognise that thousands have suffered for decades. As he knows, there is an independent inquiry. The Minister for the Cabinet Office, the Minister for the Cabinet Office, because this is an incredibly complex issue, as he well knows, updated Parliament with the latest government position just before the Christmas <laughs> recess, announced that the Cabinet Office was appointing an expert group of clinical, legal and social care experts, so it had the relevant expertise to make informed decisions responding to the inquiry's recommendations on compensation when they come, and confirmed that the Department for Health will implement a fully bespoke psychological service for people infected and affected. <coughs> we have also committed to providing an update to, par to Parliament on next steps through an oral statement within 25 sitting days of the publication of the final report. But I'll end where I began. This is a deeply awful scandal, and we will do what we need to to make it right. Thank you, Speaker. 
There is a plan for at least 2,000 single young men who have come here illegally to soon be housed just three miles from the centre of Lincoln at RAF Scampton in my right honourable friend's constituency of Gainsborough, if the Home Office ministers have their way. On top of the huge and rising costs and recent advice from civil servants to Home Office ministers to can the plan, what reassurance can the Prime Minister and his Home Secretary give that Scampton will not replicate the scandalous incidences that occurred in Cambridge when 300 Libyan trainees were housed at RAF Bassingbourne in 2014? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is right to raise the concerns of his constituents and I want to ensure him that we want asylum accommodation to have as little impact as possible on the local community. I understand the Home Office has put in place a number of measures, including a specialist security provider working on site 24-7, CCTV, and they are working with the local police as well. But I know he agrees with me that the only way to fully stop this problem and ensure that local communities are not seeing the housing of illegal migrants, whether that's in large sites or in hotels, is to have a plan to stop the boats. That's what this party and this government does, and it's Labour who are blocking us every step of the way. Stephen Flynn, SNP leader. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I begin by echoing the sentiments of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition in relation to the heroic bravery of Alexei Navalny. We all must continue to be united in our opposition to Vladimir Putin. Mr Speaker, as it stands, some 60% of the buildings in Gaza are either damaged or destroyed. Much of the farmland is in ruin. Some 30,000 people are dead, 70,000 injured, and 1.4 million people are currently sheltering in Rafah, awaiting an imminent Israeli onslaught. Surely the Prime Minister must accept that that does not amount to self-defence. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I share the concern of many members about the high rate of civilian casualties and indeed the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and that is why we have called consistently for an immediate humanitarian pause, which would allow for the safe release of hostages and more aid going into Gaza so that we create the sustainable conditions for a long-term and enduring ceasefire. That is what our diplomatic efforts are focused on, and that is what I impressed upon the Israeli Prime Minister last week when I spoke to him. Stephen Mr Speaker, tonight this House will have the opportunity to join with the majority of the international community and say that enough is enough, that the killing in Gaza must stop and that the hostages must be released. And the best way to do that is to send a clear and united message that we back an immediate ceasefire. Surely all of us, irrespective of our political allegiance, can agree on that very issue. Mr. Mr Speaker, of course we want to see the fighting in Gaza end as soon as possible and never again allow Hamas to carry out the appalling terrorist attacks that Israel was subject to. But he talks about the UN resolution, but just calling for an immediate full ceasefire now, which collapses back into fighting within days or weeks, is not in anyone's interest, Mr Speaker. We must work towards a permanent ceasefire, and that's why the right approach is the approach that we've set out and the United States have set out in their resolution, which is for an immediate humanitarian pause to get hostages out and aid in so that we then can create the conditions for a sustainable ceasefire. And in the meantime, we're doing everything we can to increase the amount of humanitarian 
humanitarian aid that we bring into Gaza, something I discussed with the King of Jordan last week, and we will have more updates in the coming days of more airdrops into Gaza, but also just in the last couple of days have managed to deliver family tents into Gaza, which are providing much-needed shelter for very vulnerable people. Rob Butler. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Key to the much-needed regeneration of Aylesbury are new link roads to cut congestion. Money from the cancelled part of HS2 is meant to be paying towards them. That's only right, given the destruction that's being caused by the construction of the first part of this unwanted railway. But the cash hasn't arrived yet. So can my right honourable friend assure my constituents they will get the roads they need so they can spend less time sitting in traffic jams and more time growing the local economy? Well, as my honourable friend knows, last autumn we announced the government's vision to redirect £36 billion of savings from HS2 to invest in hundreds of transport projects across the country, including possible increased funding for two projects that I know my honourable friend has campaigned on tirelessly, the South East Aylesbury Link Road and the Aylesbury Eastern Link Road. I know he's met with the relevant minister on a number of occasions to discuss these proposals, and I can tell him that the details of how these funding uplifts will be allocated will be decided very shortly. Neil Hanbeck. Over 40,000 North Sea oil and gas jobs are at risk from an incoming Labour administration, and neither Labour, the Tories or the SNP have lifted a finger to save Grangemouth oil refinery from closure. With the passing of last night's petroleum bill, the UK Government gave not one but two fingers to Scotland's energy ambitions within the UK. In today's money, can the Prime Minister explain? In today's money, the UK has received over £300 billion in tax receipts from North Sea Oil and Gas. So why can't the UK Government find £80 million to secure Grainsmouth's future into unprofitability uh, uh, beyond 2025? Mr Speaker, as I have previously told the House, the future of Grangemouth is a commercial decision for their owners. The site will remain operating as a refinery until at least May 2025. The UK and the Scottish Governments are working together to make sure that there are sufficient assurances in place for the support of employees. But when it comes to backing Scottish energy, Mr Speaker, it is this Government that just this week is ensured that we can support British North Sea oil and gas, safeguarding 200,000 jobs and increasing our energy security. It is the SNP and the Labour Party that oppose that, but we will always back our fantastic North Sea economy. Virginia Crosby. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister agree with me and Welsh farmers like Gareth Wynne-Jones that our farmers and food security are vital and that the agricultural budget should be ring-fenced, unlike the Welsh Labour government propped up by Plyde, which is determined to force our farmers out of business with its approach to nitrate vulnerable zones, TB, and its new sustainable farming scheme, which, using Welsh government's own analysis, is forecast to result in 5,500 job losses and a £200 million hit to the Welsh economy. My uh, my my honourable friend is an excellent campaigner 
on behalf of her local farming community. And I know that she's been working hard with Gareth Wynne-Jones to raise their voice, especially where there is so much concern. Mr Speaker. On this side of the House, we're supporting farmers with more money to grow more British food, in contrast to the plans that she highlighted, which would decimate farming communities in Wales. It's the opposite of what is needed. While we will always back our rural communities across the UK, it's Labour that would take them back to square one. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's now over two years since the fan-led review on football governance was produced. Will the Prime Minister commit now to setting up an independent regulator with the upfront power to intervene to achieve a fairer distribution of the enormous riches which football has to ensure that no community in the future loses its football club like happened in Bury? Will he commit to bring legislation forward urgently or is he going to leave it for a future Labour government to act on behalf of football fans? Mr Speaker, the independent regulator will put fans back at the heart of football and help to deliver a sustainable future for all clubs. That delivers on our manifesto commitment and the government is engaged in discussions with industry and as was part of our King's speech, as the honourable gentleman knows. But I'm glad he brought up Berry Football Club because it was the honourable member on this side of the house for Berry who ensured a million pounds of funding to safeguard that football club and that's what we're doing to communities up and down the country, Mr Speaker. GP surgeries promised in planning applications take far too long to be built. So can we clear away the obstacles and make it easier for our amazing family doctors to use additional consulting rooms that they're happy with elsewhere in the community so that GPs and the many extra prescribing nurses they're now employing can see more patients now while they wait for bespoke premises to be built? Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for his question, something that he speaks with with from a point of authority. Now, he knows that we do have high standards to ensure that GPs must provide services from premises that meet all the criteria required, but I do understand that it is possible for those services to be provided at alternative locations that meet the contract requirements. I'll happily ensure that the Health Secretary looks into his suggestions for more flexibility, but I know he will also welcome our recent plans to expand the range of services available at pharmacies, saving many people time and hassle to get treatment for seven common ailments at their local pharmacies, easing the pressure on our GPs and speeding up the care that people deserve. Pete Wishart. I was in the House on 18th March 2003 when this House voted to go to war on Iraq on the demands of the then Labour government. What followed was death, misery and destruction on an almost unimaginable scale. Voting against the Iraq War was the vote that I'm most proud of in my time in this House. Today, after 29,000 deaths in Gaza, we face a vote of similar significance. Does the Prime Minister believe that MPs today should look back with that same pride, knowing that they have done everything possible to stop the death destruction and misery tonight. Mr Speaker, nobody wants to see the fighting in Gaza go on for a moment longer than is necessary. Nobody wants to see innocent civilians suffer, and that's why we're doing absolutely everything 
we can to bring about an immediate humanitarian pause, allowing for the safe release of hostages, which the honourable gentleman failed to mention, I believe, but also getting more aid into Gaza to create the conditions for a genuinely sustainable ceasefire. That is the position that is shared by our allies. That is what our diplomatic efforts are focused on, and that is what our motion tonight will reflect. Andrew Rosenberg. Uh, Mr Speaker, sir, I've had the privilege to be spending a lot of time with the law-abiding, tax-paying, hard-working, patriotic people of Romford in recent months, and they've been telling me what they think. So I'd like to ask the Prime Minister if he agrees with the people of Romford that we need a radical plan to control immigration and stop illegal immigration, that we need to gain, regain sovereignty over our human rights laws in this country, that we need to tell the Mayor of London we need more police to stop crime in the London Borough of Havering, we need a fair funding settlement for Havering, so will he come with me to Romford Market, follow the footsteps of Margaret Thatcher, meet the people of Romford, because the one thing I can tell him they don't want is to be taken back into the European Union by a socialist government. Uh, can, I, can I welcome my honourable friend? Can I welcome my honourable friend back to his place? Uh, can I say I agree with everything he said, and I look forward to visiting him and his Romford constituents at the earliest opportunity. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. At a recent meeting of Warwickshire County Council. Children with special educational needs were described by some county councillors as requiring, and I quote, some form of strict correction, or were, and I quote, just really badly behaved kids. Other inappropriate language was used. Parents of SEND children across the country have been outraged by this. 30,000 of them have signed a petition calling for those councillors' resignation. Will he condemn? the Conservative councillors' language and urge them to do the right thing and resign. Mr Speaker, I haven't seen seen the details of those comments on this issue, but more generally the Government does have a strong track record of supporting those with disabilities. It's important that children with special educational needs do receive the right support in the right place at the right time. We've seen increased funding for SEN by 60% over this Parliament to over £10 billion. And most recently, the Education and Health Departments are piloting a new project to improve access to specialty support in mainstream primary schools, because we want to make sure that these children get all the support and opportunities that they deserve. Mr Speaker, we have legislated to give the public ID verification options on social media. Tech companies know the safety value and popularity of this because they (laughs) offer it now, but for a big fee every month, and it is not good enough. Bereaved parents are campaigning for more measures to protect kids online. Fraudsters are routinely exploiting fake social media accounts to scam, and fears of global political interference in elections from faceless, traceless bots are creating the perfect cyber storm. Will my right honourable friend use his influence to get tech companies to get on with offering robust, visible and free verification measures as soon as possible to keep people safe? 
Oh, can I start by commending my honourable friend for her work on this issue? And she's absolutely right that user verification can be a powerful tool to keep people safe online. The Online Safety Act, as she knows, requires companies to offer all adults optional user identity verification. Companies will also need to take firm action to improve safety for children in particular, and Ofcom will be able to monitor tech companies and have strong powers to ensure they comply. Uh, but I can tell her that the Home Secretary is meeting with the industry on Monday next week and be sure to raise the points that she has mentioned today. Mary Glendon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A KPMG study finds a strong economic case to remove power cables over the time. And despite my questions to previous Prime Ministers, we are no further forward. Can this Prime Minister finally secure a commitment from National Grid to implement its clear legal obligation and fund this vital work? This fog on the time is impeding local businesses and risks possible net GVA benefits of up to £1.2 billion. Our Great River needs action now. Mr Speaker, I'm very happy to look into the issue that the Honourable Lady raised, but what would be damaging to the North East and the Time are her party's plans to stick with their completely ridiculous 2030 decarbonisation target with absolutely no plan to pay for it, which just means higher taxes for everyone in her constituency and the country. John Hayes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Britain's food security, compromised by cheap foreign imports, now faces a parallel threat. All kinds of industrialisation in the countryside, from large solar plants to interconnectors and substations, and now to huge pylons covering 87 miles of countryside. These will blot the landscape and use up valuable growing land, filling the Fenland big skies. Knowing that his bow burns with gold, like my own, will he ensure that he joins my fight for our green and pleasant land? and make sure that food security and energy security are not competitors. Yeah. My honourable uh, my friend raises an, an excellent point about our food security. We have taken steps that he has uh, supported the government in doing to protect prime agricultural land from large-scale solar developments, which I know will be warmly welcomed, uh, but also our announcements this week at the NFU conference demonstrate our support to increase our country's food security, backing farmers with more funding, enhancing their productivity to produce great British food, all of that, as he knows, and including our green and pleasant land, we put at risk by the party opposite. Not only do they not want to back our farmers, they also, they also want to impose top-down planning targets, which would concrete over the countryside that he and I both love. Sure. In December, the Cabinet Minister for Equalities told this House that she had engaged, and I quote, extensively with LGBT organisations since her appointment 18 months ago. A Freedom of Information answer published this week reveals that, in fact, the Minister hasn't met a single LGBT organisation, but has met two fringe groups that actively campaign against transgender rights. What is the problem the Prime Minister and a section of his party have with trans people and his Equalities Minister has with the truth? Mr Speaker, as I've always said, first of all, this government has a proud track record of supporting those in the LGBT community and will continue to do so. And I've also always said 
that those who are questioning their gender and identity should be treated with the utmost dignity and compassion and sensitivity as they consider those questions. But it is completely reasonable alongside that to highlight the importance of biological sex when it comes to those questions. Nobody should be stigmatised or demonised for pointing out that fact. Robert Walker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Education Select Committee has heard compelling evidence to support the strengthening of guidance to keep mobile phones out of classrooms and break times. Uh, but over the course of our screen time inquiry, we continue to hear deeply disturbing evidence about the risks to young people from too much exposure to social media too early. Can I urge the Prime Minister to seek the swiftest possible implementation of the Online Safety Act and to consider whether it is time to review the age of digital consent? Oh, Mr Speaker, can I thank my honourable friend for his work in this issue? And he knows that we do have a plan when it comes to education and protecting children online. The Secretary of State is making sure that we can implement the Online Safety Act as quickly as possible with Ofcom, but we have also published new guidance banning mobile phones in schools to minimise disruption and improve behaviour and educational attainment in the classroom. But we are crucially going beyond that, because what our children see online is of the utmost importance to us, and we want to make sure that we protect their safety and also their mental health. Patricia Gibson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When important matters of life and death are voted on in this House, does the Prime Minister think MPs should vote according to their party whip or according to their conscience? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, this afternoon the House will have an opportunity to consider its approach to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Our position is crystal clear. We have called and will always call for an immediate humanitarian pause, which would allow the safe release of hostages and more aid going into Gaza to create the conditions for a genuinely sustainable ceasefire. But just calling for an immediate full ceasefire now, which collapses it back into fighting in days or weeks, would not be in anyone's interest, Mr Speaker. We are committed not just to immediate humanitarian pause, but also to finding a lasting resolution to this conflict, which delivers on the promise of a two-state solution and ensures that Israelis and Palestinians can live in the future with dignity and security. Marco Longhi. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <laughs> it seems that, with the exception of the British Transport Police, all other police forces will treat non-contact sex crimes as they would perhaps the theft of a bike, petty retail crime or antisocial behaviour. Will the Prime Minister facilitate a meeting between myself, colleagues and the Home Secretary in order to give priority to these acts of crime to ensure that women and young girls deserve the, get the protection they deserve? Mr Speaker, of course we want women and girls to get the protection that they deserve and I'm pleased that our violence against women and girls strategy is showing results, improving the safety of our streets, increasing sentences for, for rapists, but I will make sure that he gets the meeting that he needs with the Home Secretary or uh, relevant policing ministers to discuss his concerns. Kate Osborne. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I heard the Prime Minister's responses to the Leader of the Opposition, and just like the Secretary of State's claims that delays on compensation are wild basis allegations, his answers are unbelievable. And the response from the benches opposite to the quote from my constituent Chris Head was completely disrespectful. The reality is it wouldn't have 
we, we wouldn't have any action without the ITV serialisation of the sub-postmaster scandal. You can shout all you like, but we all know that that's the True, case. Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's promised a new law to swiftly exonerate and compensate victims, and today he said shortly. So will he commit today to ensuring that this is brought forward before the next general exactly. election? Yeah. 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 Yes, the, the, the legislation will be brought forward before the House very, very soon, Mr Speaker. Dr Ben Spencer. Speaker. Um, after Network Rail's so-called signalling improvement works, um, there has been traffic chaos and delays at level crossings across Egham. In mm. fact, data analysed by my team shows, comparing September 22 with 23, there has been a 3,967% increase of wait times over 10 minutes when the barriers go down. Does my right honourable friend agree with me this is unacceptable and Network Rail need to sort it out? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the delays faced by my honourable friend's constituents. I know that will be disruptive to their lives. It's important that we have proper connectivity in our local areas and I'll ensure that he gets the relevant meeting he needs to put pressure on Network Rail to improve the service they're providing. Kim Johnson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Children and young adults are most likely to be the victims or the perpetrators of gun crime. Ava White was 12 years old when she was stabbed and killed by a 14-year-old in Liverpool City Centre in 2021. Danny Jameson was 16 when he died as a result of knife crime. Their mothers, Leanne and Mandy, are campaigning for tougher sentences on knife crime. So will the Prime Minister support the Danny and Ava campaign to, um, to end the scourge of gun crime, knife crime, sorry, on our streets. Mr Speaker, can I express my condolences to Danny and Ava's family and the family of all those young people whose lives have been so tragically cut short by knife crime? We do have plans in place to cut knife crime, and they are working. We've confiscated over 120,000 weapons. We've cut violent crime in half since 2010, and more dangerous criminals are going to jail for longer, but we are bringing forward legislation which would increase sentences for knife crime related things and ban zombie knives, and I very much hope that she and her party will support those proposals when they are put before the House. Alexander Stafford. Much indeed, uh, Mr Speaker. After years of campaigning, it is great news that there will be a direct bus link between two of my biggest uh, towns in Rother Valley, between Dillington and Maltby. And this is great news. However, there is still lack of, of transport, bus transport to our local hospitals. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the South Yorkshire Mayor should use some of the resources to back my plan for transport for Rother Valley and make sure every single village and town has a direct bus link to our local hospitals? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, we absolutely know how vital bus services are for communities right across the country. Indeed, it's our most popular form of public transportation, which is why we have used some of the savings from HS2 to invest in bus services. We've capped bus services at £2 right across the country and provided his local authority with millions of pounds of more funding specifically to support local bus services. So I join him in calling on the Mayor to ensure direct bus routes to hospitals in my honourable friend's constituency and to 
make sure that people can see their loved ones at a distressing time. Michelle Moore. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the weekend, the people of South Wales marched in support of their steel industry following the government's grubby deal with Tata that is now placing thousands of jobs at risk in Portalbert and beyond. The Prime Minister is failing to protect our steel industry because he failed to place a red line on protecting jobs at the plant. So the Prime Minister now has a choice. Work with the unions, Tata and the workforce to protect the industry and the jobs with investment, or to walk away and do what Tories always do and abandon South Wales communities yet again. Which is it, Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker this government has worked hard to secure a long-term sustainable future for Welsh steelmaking and to grow the legacy of this important industry. That's why, in the pandemic, we stepped in to support CELSA, which he knows, safeguarding over a 1,000 jobs and ensuring that that plant was sustainable. It's why we agreed one of the largest ever cash grants of a half a billion pounds to Tata Steel to safeguard at least 5,000 jobs, Mr Speaker, which would otherwise have been lost. And perhaps he might want to ask why the Welsh Labour government did not put a penny in to support that deal. There are many who try to imitate, uh, Mr. Speaker. Um, uh, Mr. Speaker, the Watford area continues to be the proud home of the National Lottery, employing over 900 people. So, would my right honourable friend and the, the Prime Minister and the whole Cabinet join me in celebrating the successful handover from Camelot to Allwyn on the 1st of February and the £48 billion raised by the National Lottery players, funding 700,000 projects so far, I'm sure, in everyone's constituency? Thank you. Well, I, I join with my honourable friend in offering his uh, congratulations and thanks to everyone involved with the National Lottery. All of, all of us in our constituents have seen the incredible uh, benefit from the investments they're making, and he's absolutely right to make sure that they get the praise they deserve today in Parliament. Graham Stringer. Mr. <laughs> Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has been at it again. In his answer to a previous question, he was boasting about transferring investment from the north of England into the south of England. When he came to uh, Manchester in the autumn to insult the people of the north of England and cancelled HS2, proudly cancelled it, was he aware then that uh, because the trains have to split without the HS2 lines and they don't tilt, he will be slowing services down and reducing capacity. Did he know that or didn't he care? Mr Speaker, I'll say a couple of things. First of all, our plans to continue with Phase 1 mean that we can handle triple the capacity that is currently being used on the line. The second thing is every penny of the £19.8 billion from the northern bit of HS2 will stay in the north, being invested in services that people use, like local buses, and will be delivered quicker. And thirdly, he's critical of the decision. I still haven't quite figured out what the Labour Party's position on this is. Do they support the redeployment of £36 billion of HS2 savings in transport across the rest of the country, or do they not? As ever with Mr Speaker, you don't know what they stand for, they can't say what they do, and they just take Britain back to square one. Yeah.